Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 39. What's going on, Neil? What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I know you're excited about tonight, man. Yeah. I, I, was, I was sitting here thinking, <laughs> if, if you could put together a list of the top 10 guests that you'd like to have on a podcast, I bet this dude would be in there. He'd be in the top three, probably, so yeah. yeah. All right, so we're, uh, we've got Trey Hensley with us tonight. Trey, how you doing, buddy? Good, guys. How about y'all? Doing, doing good, great. man. Doing good. Actually, yeah, we're, we're getting ready to introduce this bourbon, and, and we're kind of at your mercy because, as we were talking earlier, we had a little bit of a mix-up. Well, not a mix-up, a technical, 2020 technical difficulty. So we're not drinking bourbon at 11 a.m. this morning, so it, <laughs> it's working out good. What we got, All Brad? good, man. We got an old favorite, man. We went with Evan Williams Single Barrel. Yeah, it's hard to beat. Can't beat it. And it's always available, so cheers, Neil. Cheers, Trey. Cheers, Trey. Heck yeah, cheers, guys. Mm-hmm. That's always good. We don't even need to talk about this Never one, Never disappointing. <laughs> Never disappointing. <laughs> so, Trey, why don't you get us into the podcast? Why don't you take us back early in life and just talk a little bit about how music came into your life or uh, where you first realized music was going to be a big part of your life? Yeah, man. So I, I've kind of always been around music. My dad played a little banjo when I was a kid, and so I, you know, used to hear a lot of bluegrass and country, old country stuff. And uh, I mean, it seems like my parents were just way into music. They always kind of had music going. Um, and I spent a lot of time with my granddad growing up, and um, he's a big classic country fan. You know, listened to a lot of George Jones. That was kind of his guy. Mm-hmm. Um, George and and Hank Williams Sr. and all that good stuff and um, so you know that that's kind of it, it was always around it it always had this big part of my life and uh, and then when I was ten I went to a bluegrass festival with my parents and I saw Jimmy Martin and Charlie Waller hmm. and had to have a guitar <laughs> it kind of <laughs> snowballed from there man I mean it's just it, it kind of took over my life as it does. But yeah, I mean, it all it all kind of started with seeing those two guys. As far as you know, knowing that I wanted to do this. So you got your first guitar at ten. I did. Yeah. Well, I got one when I was nine. Um, just a, I got it as a, a birthday gift, and it never left the case. I mean, I, I played it, you know, maybe once or twice, but it didn't. It just didn't because I I thought that I wanted to play guitar, but I didn't know that I wanted to play guitar until seeing those two guys playing live and then it, it was a big thing seeing charlie waller because i think before then i'd never really seen anybody play guitar you know and take a guitar break and i thought that was the coolest thing ever somebody, <laughs> yeah. you know, and still still think that's the coolest thing it ever, is the so, coolest thing ever for sure. <laughs> so it wasn't too but long, yeah that was it man wasn't too long after you started playing the guitar then then that you uh got an invitation to come on stage in grand Ole opry yeah, I mean, I let's see, I'd been playing for six months, I think, and I met Marty Stewart at the uh, Appalachian Fair out in East Tennessee. My dad, uh, so I had this big uh, first quality is like a just a big mesh case, and, or not mesh, I don't know what it was, it's like kind of this foam, I don't even know what, what to call it, it's this huge case, guitar case, but it uh, it was just perfect for having people to sign it. And so I wanted, really wanted Marty Stewart's autograph, and he always one of my favorites. And, and kind of unbeknownst to me, my dad threw my guitar in the case before we left. And when we got backstage to meet Marty before Marty's show, my dad just kind of said, hey, my son really wants to play you a song. And it's like, okay, <laughs> well, I guess, guess I'll play Marty's song, which, you know, it was a thrill. And, and, uh, and I played a couple songs. And as soon as I got done, he asked if I would come play him on his show that night. And, uh, and then right after the show, he asked if I would come be a part of the Grand Ole Opry, you know, uh, on one of the shows at the Ryman. And, <laughs> so what's uh, going through your head as a, what were you, 11? 11 years old, man. Yeah. Man, well, I guess I was 10 still then. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was, man, it was crazy. It was just, uh, of course that was my ultimate dream. Uh, I just grew up watching, I mean, it was a ritual, you know, to sit down every Saturday night and watch, uh, watch all the TNT you know, they had Hee Haw, and then they would have, uh, sometimes they'd have Pop Goes the Country, or they'd play old Porter Wagner rerun, mm-hmm. and then they'd play the Opry. And if I was over at my grandparents' house, my granddad would let me watch 
Beavis and Butthead after that. So that was, that was <laughs> but it was a Saturday night ritual. You know, it's like we would watch, watch the Grand Ole Opry every Saturday night. And so it was, you know, it was a part of my vocabulary for as long as I can remember, you know. And so it was a thrill. And, and, uh, and then Marty, the songs I'd played for him were these old Carter family songs that I had learned. Uh, from Flat and Scruggs records, and he kind of knew that because the uh, the licks that I played on him, I mean, it was just stealing Earl Scruggs licks, you know. And, and mm-hmm. Earl was my first real guitar hero. He kind of picked up on that immediately, and and then had Earl come join in that night, you know, in the Opry. And so it, it was really cool to. <laughs> I didn't know it until I got there that day. We were getting ready to do sound check. And, you know, I just kind of heard some whispers behind me and, and uh, turned around and looked and Earl was walking down the hallway, you know, and it just blew my mind. And, and I got a, a good couple hours of just sitting backstage and, and picking with him. And he showed me a lot of stuff and, and we kind of okay. became friends. So that makes, and, yeah, that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, that's amazing. We, uh, Neil and I watched that video on YouTube today and we're sitting here thinking, man, for a 10 or 11 year old kid, he sure was cool about him coming on stage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew about it a little bit before. <laughs> Not much before, but uh, but at least a couple hours before. So from uh, from the time you picked up a guitar to the, you know, the six months or seven months in, you know, you really, you know, because watching that video today, you're, I think he said 11 at that point when you're on stage, and you're already a pretty proficient and clean guitar player six months to a year in, were you just absolutely obsessed once you became uh, obsessed with guitar? I mean, is that what happened? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 uh, it was it, you know, it's like, uh, I went, I had a couple, well, I had about, you know, six months of guitar lessons when I first started. It was to the point where I would learn, you know, it's like the, the guitar teacher I had was, would say, you know, we'll, we'll work on a song, you know, and maybe in a couple of weeks we'll, we'll work on a different song. And it, it was to the point where I would, you know, it's like I'd have a lesson on a Wednesday night and I would call him Thursday morning and be like, okay, well, I got this song down. Can we <laughs> teach me another one over the phone? And and it was finally the point where he's like, okay, well, he, he doesn't need any more lessons. But it, it was just, you know, I'd get home and I'd play it and uh, it just took over my life. It definitely was the obsession. It still is. I mean, it it's always reach for the guitar, you know, mm-hmm. as almost immediately I just always keep one around, you know, I've got one downstairs, I've got one, got a bunch of mine upstairs in my recording space, and, but I just, I like to have one in every room, just in case <laughs> inspiration strikes, you know. Yeah, no doubt. So, now you, yeah, well, I don't know, I will we'll say it, you just turned 30 recently, um, yeah. I'll put that out there on the podcast, <laughs> so you're not a woman, you really, I mean, if you, know, you don't care about <laughs> yeah, the age thing. I'm cool with it. Okay, I'm cool. cool with it. So do you, do you really ever just stop for half a second and think about that and think about how amazing of a, of a story that is and how just, how does that happen? Who does that happen to? Do you ever just stop and go, what in the world? Thanks, Dad. <laughs> well, you, I'm, I'm glad yeah. to hear that he played a lot and practiced a lot. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, that's one of the things I always laugh. I always, I'll, I'll see somebody like Trey playing. I'm like, man, I'd love to play like that. But really, I wouldn't because I don't practice that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the uh, that's the never fun answer at like a workshop or something. Yeah, it's uh, there'll always be somebody that's like, okay, well, you know, what what's the secret? What's the how do you do this or how do you do that? It's like, well, you just you just practice it. You just play it slow and you practice it. Well, well, okay, I get that, but you know, how do you really do it? And it's like, well, there's no way around. <laughs> practicing it you know there's just no way and it it was just one of those things you know it's i played baseball before i played guitar and i liked it okay but it was it just never nothing hit me like playing guitar did and you know i went through all this stuff of well it, it hurts your fingers when you start but and then i started you know i played on a dreadnought when i was 10 <laughs> and so it's just this big massive guitar at that age you know but mm-hmm. it, it it was just worth the worth the work to me um and it's not you know maybe it's not that way to everybody but um and, and like i say i still i still feel that way so well that's part of the charm about that video man that guitar was about as size you were <laughs> 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 like holy crap man this kid is young <laughs> so you went on the grand Ole opry at, at 11 and what, what did uh, music look like for you the rest of the way through middle school and high school and from there 
Well, you know, I uh, that opened a lot of doors. Obviously, that uh, that kind of got me in with Earl, and uh, and I sat in on a bunch of shows with Earl Scruggs and friends, uh, and that's actually where I met Rob. I met Rob Ikes with oh. Earl um, for the first time when I was probably thirteen or something like that, and and so yeah, that that was really cool, and I played some more with Marty, uh, and still you know play some with him. But yeah, through middle school and stuff, it, it was kind of nuts because the right after the Opry stuff happened. So the first places I played, I'll kind of go back a little bit. The first places I really played was uh, this place in Hilton's Virginia called the Carter Fold. Um, and it's still running. It's this little place. I mean, it's just kind of started out as a barn on this little dirt road, AP Carter Highway. And the Carter family started it, you know, back in the 70s. Uh, I think AP and Sarah started it maybe as a, uh, as a, just kind of like a barn dance, you know, every Saturday oh, yeah. night and mm-hmm. had a lot of, uh, dancers would come out and it's still that way, you know? Oh, wow. So I would go out there and, uh, Jeanette Carter, who was, uh, I think she was AP and Sarah's daughter, her and Joe were running the place at the time and, uh, they, they were brother and sister. And, and so for whatever reason, Jeanette would let me go play, uh, during the intermissions of these, you know, they'd have these shows every Saturday and, and I would go out there and play Carter family tunes, uh, during the intermissions and, and they kind of took me under their wing. And okay. so one Saturday night, or I guess it was middle of the week, right after I'd played the Opry, she gave me a call and she said, you yeah, know, I just want to make sure you're going to be there Saturday night. Um, I said, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be there. And she said, well, great. Uh, Johnny Cash and June are coming. And <laughs> oh, I really, wow. I want I want them to uh, hear you play, and oh yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be there. And so you know, it starts at seven thirty every Saturday, and we would usually get there at you know seven fifteen or something, and and never any rush. But that day we got there at like three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> you know, just, just waited back there, and, and uh, sure enough, you know that that black Lincoln town car you know pulls in and and johnny cash and june get out and how cool and had all this cool time backstage with them and that night i i played the intermission and and so they they would kind of always sneak them into town you know because like i said it's a one at the time it was still just i think it still is just a, a one lane road out through there and so if they you know johnny cash is coming to town they they oh. didn't want people to you know, they've shut it down, traffic. man. Heck yeah. They've shut it down. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and it word would get out quick. You know, it, it, they had that first time I went out there that he was there. I mean, it was just people as far as you could see all over the Hills and, and just, you know, there to see Johnny. And so they, you know, Johnny and June come out and they did their four or five songs and then they took a little break and, and I came out and did, uh, I, I can't remember everything I did that night, but I know I did storms on the ocean, which is an old Carter family tune. And, um, kind of unbeknownst to me. So there, if you've ever been to the Carter fold there, there's a pew on the back of, just like a church pew on the back of the stage. And it's basically where the remaining Carter family would sit and watch the show. And so on that pew that night was Jeanette Carter and Joe Carter and, uh, Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. And, uh, (laughs) and so they, they were sitting there and actually Johnny was like eating a hot dog and, uh, And kind of unbeknownst to me during Storms on the Ocean, he had asked for a microphone. So I get to the chorus of the song, and I mean, it it just oh. st- still kind of blows my mind. But, you oh, know, I hear I, that that voice just coming out of those monitors. Oh, my God. And uh, and so I had a great, you know, visit with them that night. And a couple days, well, I guess so the next Saturday, they were still in Hilton's Virginia. And so I, I went back and I played with them that night. And uh, the next week... Like in the middle of the week, I just got home from school and I'd probably, you know, I was, I think I was 12 uh, or maybe still, maybe still 11, you know, so I don't, I forget what grade I was even in, but I got home and I was doing some homework and, uh, and my mom, yeah, the phone rings and my mom answers the phone and, uh, she comes into where I was, you know, doing my homework and, and she says, somebody's on the phone wants to talk to you and it says it's Johnny Cash and, uh, <laughs> So I pick up the phone and, and yeah, sure enough, it's him. And, and he said, you know, this, this weekend is uh, June's birthday and I'd love for you to come out and do a couple songs at her birthday party. <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to be there. And so went out there that weekend and, uh, and so it was me and, uh, 
I know Dale Jett, who's some of the Carter family. He he did a couple songs, and uh, Tom T. Hall was there, and he did some songs, and of course Johnny sang some songs, and uh, and it was just so great. But while we were there, Johnny had kind of convinced Tom T. Hall to produce one of my CDs, which would end up being my first CD. Yeah, that winter I went got to go to Tom T. Hall's recording studio and and do my first record, and and actually I went to the uh, the Cash House, which was Mother Maybell's house. Um, out in Hilton's Virginia a bunch that summer to practice with them. They were getting ready to do another record, and I was going to play guitar on a couple songs. And um, sadly enough, you know, they passed away that year. Um, But So it never really happened. I know there's some recordings. I don't know if they'll ever, you know, come out or anything. But um, there was just some home recordings from their living room where, you know, it was the three of us and sometimes Carlene Carter playing these songs. But... Yeah, I mean, it was just a weird, it was kind of a weird middle school, you know, and then I would go to school and I didn't, I didn't really like to talk to anybody about this stuff because at the time it was, it was pre-O, pre-O brother, so bluegrass was about as uncool as it could possibly be. And um, I was wondering, like, growing up, was bluegrass it? Did you, you know, almost strictly listen to bluegrass music growing up? Yeah, I mean, kind of. I always loved country music. Um, Okay. And I think... But bluegrass definitely, it, it had the hold. I mean, I listened to bluegrass really the, for the majority of my, mm. at least preteen and teenage years up until I, you know, got into other stuff. You know, man, uh, middle school years are supposed to be the awkward years of your life. not not the years where you're hanging out with you know the carter family and then play i mean that is you had a very weird middle school experience yeah i'm just thinking about myself in middle school you know like what's going on in your head here did did you realize hey i'm pretty daggone good at this or people telling you hey you could be you could be really good at this i mean what's what's going on in your head as all this is happening i i don't know you know i've i've thought about that in the past couple of years just with the Johnny Cash stuff and because I, I know I know for a fact I didn't I, it's not that I didn't appreciate it but I just didn't and I'm kind of glad that it was then mm-hmm. because now you know I would have been so nervous to have been around anybody <laughs> um, that that I'm you know I'm glad it happened then the ignorance but, of youth yeah no kidding yes exactly you know it's, it's <laughs> then it was just you know I didn't these, they, I didn't really, they were just your friends at that point. <laughs> yeah, just my exactly. Yeah, I was like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, that's Johnny Cash and likes I, me. Hey, guys, I started my first band. Oh, yeah, what is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, uh, you know, the Cat Carters. And... Johnny Cash backs me up. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was like, kind of like, you know, I, I loved those Johnny Cash records. And, and obviously I knew who he was. I mean, you can't not know who Johnny Cash is. And, and that was around the time of, you know, Hurt and, and those American records. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Amazing and, uh, records. So when that came out, that was kind of when the, and, it, you know, not that it, anybody ever thought my, what I was doing at school was ever cool. I remember, you know, the, the Opry stuff. It, it wasn't embarrassing to me, but it just never was, you know, nobody ever thought I was cool because of it. <laughs> and, uh, but... I remember the Johnny Cash stuff, you know, they, it, they're for a few people at least thought I was cool. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Not, so, not me. I, I didn't, you know, I just never, never thought of it. And like I say, I'm glad, glad that it happened then instead of now. So that one I'm assuming is not like a spot on Spotify, because I think the first thing that, that shows up on there is you're what, about 18 and you had uh, your, your first or at least the next yeah. album. <laughs> Thank God those are not on Spotify. <laughs> I had uh, man, I've got I've got cassette tapes that uh, so I used to sing like before I would play. I, I don't really have a lot of recollection of it, but I have cassette tapes that that I made with like a local gospel band when I was like six, seven, and eight. Oh, and then, uh, really? That so young. those are out there. So you always had the bug one me. way or the other, huh? Exactly. It's kind of <laughs> always been there. But yeah, that, that first record I did was uh, called First Time Out. You know, I, I don't even know if anybody, I don't know who's got a copy of it. But, oh, we're going to find you know, it now, buddy. Oh, man. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> we had, uh, I mean, we recorded like 14 songs totally live in one day and then mixed it. The next, we did it totally, you know, Tom T's a big bluegrass fan and, so he and Miss Dixie had written a bunch of the songs on there. I think they wrote six of the 14 songs we did. But we we just got in there early that morning, and we cut until 
you know, late that night. It was it was kind of like, you know, hearing about Ralph Stanley or somebody cutting those albums. I mean, that's that's just Tom T. That was his kind of mentality of a so, bluegrass record. Well, it needs to be live. It needs to just, you know. Oh, nitty gritty dirt band stuff. Sit in a circle exactly. and do the song. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how me and Rob record now. We just, with no overdubs and no. That's in, uh, that's insane. Listening to what you guys do is, and knowing that right there that you just sit in it. It's <laughs> amazing. We were just watching the uh, World Full of Blues official video. And I was asking Neil, oh, yeah. I said, it looks like, you know, looking at this video, you would think they recorded this live. Is. Yeah, we totally did, man. That's, I mean, that was, that video is the, that version of it. I mean, uh, that's insane. <laughs> we had, uh, we had Stacy Huckaba who's done some, some videos and pictures for, she was there all day. The only overdubs on that record were obviously Taj wasn't there when we cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sang, I sang his part on the album until he got into Nashville and, and then Vince, Vince's part was overdubbed. Um, but wow. everything else was, uh, was totally live. Even, you know, we were all, so Rob and me sat, you know, about two feet apart, kind of facing each other. John Jorgensen played B3 on it and he was in the room. Uh, the amp, his amp was not in the room, but with the only thing separated were the drummers. We had, uh, John Alvey and Giovanni Rodriguez who played all the percussion on it in one room. Because um, you want the drummers separated and and in one room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a room far, far away. Far away with a with a lot of sound uh, deadening. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we jumped because I want to talk about mm-hmm. I want to talk about the first record, looking at my future. So you're like 18, I would assume yeah. 17, 16, 17, 18 when you get in to record this thing. Yeah, man. Okay. Yeah, that one. Uh, it's let's see i was trying to remember some about that it's that that one and the is what it is record kind of blend together for me well Um, you know it's funny that you say that because i i kind of they're 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 released in within about a year of each other 2008 2009 and they really do have that they could almost be one record yeah i mean like six of the songs on uh on looking at my future which was the first one were cut in the same studio probably about a month apart Oh. from most of is what it is i mean we did is what it is right on the heels of looking at my future and some of it was cut out in east tennessee and but yeah i mean it was kind of my first venture into that country world i had just gotten a telecaster mm-hmm. and uh, decided i wanted to do some country kind of stuff yeah i mean that was fun i mean that was kind of my first experience in writing songs and um and that record was kind of the first time since that Tom T. Hall record that I went back in and done mostly everything live. Um, let's see, there were four records before the looking at my future. No kidding. Is what it is stuff. So I did a, uh, yeah, I did, I did a record on uh, Copper Creek records, which was a record label that flopped as soon as my record came out, which is exactly what you want to happen. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so that one, uh, yeah, I had like a three CD contract with them and that I forget the name of it, uh, back into Birmingham, it came out and it, yeah, like I say, I mean, the record label was gone within a month. And then, so I did two other ones that, yeah, I'm glad nobody has them, but, <laughs> but there was a lot of experience in the studio by that time, you know, I oh, yeah. worked a lot in the studio and, um, but yeah, those looking at my future, the, I mean, that's, that, those were super fun records and they were, uh, I mean, I, I still look back at those as, uh, I mean, I got to work with a great band, especially got to w- work with one of my guitar heroes, uh, Jimmy Caps on the is what it is stuff. Mm. And so that was super cool. I mean, I, you know, I sat in the room and, and he played rhythm guitar and a couple lead tracks on, on that record. But yeah, I sat and played acoustic guitar right mm-hmm. across from him. And yeah, you know, he played on all the Leuven Brothers stuff and most of Conway Twitty's big hits. And, uh, it's kind of a session guy and, and the Opry, uh, house guitarist for, for a long time. And, but yeah, those were great, great times. This is when I assume between it is what it is record and before the sun goes down. This is where somewhere in this area that you met and sold your soul to the devil. And I'm just wondering <laughs> where exactly is the crossroads? Can you tell us the location? 
Uh, is there a specific location? I mean, there's a lot of people that would make that bargain. He, he told you earlier, man, 10 hours of practice a day. Oh, yeah. That's right, man. <laughs> is that what he told you to say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not that, you know, there's there, the, the biggest thing between the next two albums leading into uh, what you're currently doing, I assume, is with the fourth studio album with Rob Ikes. Before the sun goes down, I think was a gigantic shift. How much of a shift was that for you? And was was there a moment where you went, this is me, this is my, here's my signature, here's my style? Because there's so much different influence. There's, there, there's that jazz blues influence to everything along with the bluegrass. It's such a blend and a meld of different uh, styles that lead into this this Before the Sun Goes Down album. Yeah, I mean, there was there was one big part of that. I mean, I was into a lot of stuff, a lot of different music when I was doing those two country records, but nothing like anything I was into afterwards. You know, I just, I don't know. You know, I, I've kind of always been searching for something. I mean, I remember how I felt when I heard you know, my granddad's records. And I remember how I felt when I heard Manzanita for the first time. And, and I've kind of chased that, you know, I've, I'm constantly listening to music, but especially then, I mean, I was just, there was a local record store uh, out in East Tennessee that I would go to almost every day. And the guy got to know me that, that worked there and, and he would kind of point me in different directions of, of stuff I should listen to or, you know, everything from blues and, and a lot of jazz stuff and, heavy metal and rock and uh, just anything. You know, is, I just listen to anything. Is this the guy that introduced you to Eddie Van Halen? <laughs> you know, no, it's, oh. so the guy that introduced me to Eddie Van Halen was in uh, high school. So I brought, I brought my guitar to high school one day and I, for some reason, I don't even know why I did. I think I know what it was. I was failing in Spanish class <laughs> and it was, it was in, uh, it was on Christmas and she said if I would bring my guitar and sing two songs in Spanish that she would bump my F to a C. Oh, done. And, <laughs> and so I did. I learned, uh, I learned, uh, what's the big, Feliz Navidad. I learned that one, which is kind of cheating. I mean, yeah, hey, man, it counts. Uh, La Bamba. So that one, <laughs> yeah, no problemo. <laughs> and La Bamba Christmas style. No, I, I forget what to say. I think Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I think I learned that one in Spanish. Wow. And, uh, and she bumped my F to a C. And, but I, I, you know, played my guitar in one of the other classes that I had. And so this guy that, was just in there. He never really, you know, I think I went to middle school with him, but we never really talked that much. And uh, when he saw me play, for some reason, he kind of made a connection. And and it was one of those classes, so it was like a, a graphic design class. And so everybody always brought their iPods and, and would listen every day. And so I had my earbuds in, and, and he came up beside of me, and he said, I, I, you got to listen to something. And so he put his earbud in my ear, and, uh, and he played Eruption. Oh, and yeah. I borrowed his iPod for like the next week. Like <laughs> I would just let him, like I put on, you know, JD Crow 0044 and I would let him listen to that. And then I would listen to Van Halen. And so I got him hooked on some bluegrass stuff. And then my parents, you know, they, they weren't strict, but they were kind of musically, you know, they, they only listened to bluegrass and country and they just thought anything, you know, rock and roll was was really bad um so i remember buying that best of both worlds uh, it's like a double cd eddie van halen greatest hits snuck it out in my coat pocket you know and, and <laughs> just listen to that every day and that was i mean you know I, I know a lot of people say that you know it's, it's just like it becomes your soundtrack of of high school and everything you know, it's like hearing that and i remember getting a, the van halen 2 record and hearing spanish fly and mm like man he can do that on an acoustic guitar and hmm. yeah man that guy was just unbelievable unbelievable good yeah and if uh if you're listening go to trey's instagram page and watch eruption right now just just go watch it <laughs> <laughs> how long after that day in graphic art class until you knew how to play eruption <laughs> it was funny man i you know i didn't even have an electric guitar at that time i don't think um <laughs> And you I, learned, don't I tell was, me you learned that on acoustic. I, I learned it on a nylon string guitar. Um, <laughs> and at school, you know, a friend of mine had a nylon string guitar. And then I remember, I think it was only a little bit after that that I got a telly. So maybe like a week or two. So I bought a telly and a, and a little small amp. I can't even remember what I got. But 
we didn't have, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, you know, I just, it's, you hear that tapping stuff and it, well, even it, everything up to that, it's like, what is he doing? And the, <laughs> especially the tapping stuff. I mean, and so I went to a friend's house cause we, we kind of live out in the middle of nowhere and they had dial up until after I moved out. And, uh, so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I remember I was just thinking about that the other day, the new deluxe edition of wildflowers, the Tom Petty record Ooh, came out and, and, I remember and everything I, else. I bought that record, uh, on iTunes because nobody had it. I'd heard, um, you wrecked me mm. and, uh, nobody had it, you know, at a, at a record store. And so I downloaded it on iTunes and it took, I think it took exactly a week to download it. <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, I mean, I would, I would turn the computer on every morning before I'd go to school and then I'd get home and inevitably it would say, you know, 6%. Such and, such yeah, it's like, and then if it would actually work, one of them would be like, okay, well, there's an error. You know, your uh, mom had to answer a phone call. And those dial-up sounds. Man, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Dude, your parents had dial-up until iPhone was invented. They did, man. They did. They had it. I mean, I moved. I, I, I would have been, you know. 16 or 17 so that was 2006 and 7 like jesus that was a long time to have man and and when you needed a a song on napster or something like that back in those days or in itunes (laughs) or whatever my gosh a week Uh, that that ain't gonna cut it the best was was limewire you know you get that and you'd you'd download something and it would be like just the audio from dumb and dumber but it would be you know (laughs) labeled as something else that's a that's a tough week of anticipation for you too man (laughs) (laughs) it is and so i went to a friend's house you know they he didn't live far away but for some reason he could get like half decent internet and i just youtubed eddie van halen eruption and i saw the tapping part and I just, I didn't have a guitar, so I just kind of memorized it. I think part of it, I had a, a cell phone at the time, and I remember, like, recording bits and pieces <laughs> on my cell phone and then just going home and trying to figure it out. And it took a long time. I mean, that that was one of those songs that was just, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is challenging, and it just, it blows my mind still. I guess your parents were, what are you playing up there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was playing some some Van Halen song or something. It was it was definitely a rock and roll thing, and and uh, my dad was like, "That's okay. We're getting ready to, you know, I don't care what you listen to. Just don't listen to it in the car when we're there." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good dad right there, man. <laughs> so it was, uh, but yeah, there was a lot. But but between those two records, man, I would, and then I started playing in a band out in East Tennessee that was just like a three piece rock and roll blues we did everything but but it was all electric that was the best thing that i can like point back to and say i learned so much from because we would play you know four hours it's kind of like nashville you know you play four hours you learn a lot man there's there's a lot that happens in four hours of non-stop playing oh, yeah. because you're trying to keep yourself entertained and especially you know, in a three-piece Exactly. It's like I'm taking all the solos, so I'm getting bored of myself by hour two. And so it's just like, you know, come up with with new ways to play stuff or Mm -hmm. uh, but man, it it helped a lot just to get it kind of sharpens your blade or whatever. And and so by the time I moved to Nashville and started playing with Rob, I was just into a bunch of different stuff. And I had kind of switched back over to acoustic guitar. And so all this stuff that I was playing on electric guitar, I kind of brought with me. and so it definitely felt different. You know, it definitely felt like, well, this is more... Because before that, I even, like, when I was playing acoustic guitar, it didn't sound like me. You know, it sounded like, well, here I'm copying this person, and here I'm copying, you know, Tony, or... It just never... I never felt like it sounded like me. Mm. And then once I started picking with Rob, you know, it just felt like, well, here, here's what I sound like, you know, like it or not. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'd love to sound like Tony, but there's already you know, a Tony and, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a melding of influences well, and a melding of music. Well, that makes a lot of sense too. Uh, and the one thing that I noticed about that record, you know, I would listen and if I didn't know, I always try to check credits who wrote songs and, and I would listen and I go, okay, that's a, I know who wrote that. That's more okay. That's Jerry Garcia. And then I heard, um, my life, my way is the highway and it caught me before I knew you wrote it. I thought, okay, that is way different than anything else on the record. 
who wrote that song, and then it ended up you wrote that song. So there, in, in that period, you developed some type of different style that is was your, uh, unique to you. Yeah, I mean, I so there was a brief period uh, between those two country records and moving to Nashville where I, I just worked like a crappy job, you know, and had that during the week, and then I would do the stuff, do, do gigs during the week, you know, or, or play at night. It was nothing, you know, nothing bad, but up until that point, you know, it's like, so I'd spent most of my childhood up until my teenage years as my dad kind of booking shows and, and being my quote unquote manager in the best sense of the term, you know, he, he did a great job and, and kind of kept me busy. And, and then I had a, a, a real manager for a while and he did a lot of great stuff in those two records. You know, he, he was co-producer on them and, and just opened a lot of doors and, yeah, I, I did a lot of stuff in those three or four years during the country stuff. But then we kind of split ways at a certain point, and I didn't really know what, what to do. You know, it's like I didn't, I was kind of stuck in limbo. And so I thought, you know, maybe trying a different thing might uh, just keep everything fresh or whatever. And then, you know, it's it's, it's out of necessity. You're uh, you're not playing a bunch, so hmm. get a gig. And But, man, I didn't do hardly anything at that gig. I just, I just wrote songs when I should have been working. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> That was, uh, or look up YouTube videos of now that I'm not working there, I can say that. <laughs> so when, uh, when you had that manager during the first couple records, were you kind of trying to be put into a lane by the industry and say, Hey, here's your thing. You're this young guy. Uh, you definitely are, on your way, you're a phenomenal uh, young talent. Here's what we want to try to make you be. You know, I think there's there's always going to be that to a certain extent. Um, just you know, everybody wants to latch on to something, you know, or, or to try to make everything become as uh, valuable, I guess, as as it can be. And I, but I will say about this this manager, uh, man, we always got along, and we still, you know, we're still friendly and we still talk quite a bit and um he did a lot of great stuff but he so he worked a lot like in uh in the more political side of stuff mm-hmm. and um which is fine you know it's just not where I'm at really and I did some cool stuff you know like in 2008 I got to play a bunch of shows with Charlie Daniels which was awesome mm-hmm. uh, and you know I got to hang around him a bunch and and but like in 2009 and 2010 really we were just trying to get everything rolling and i was kind of going through you know some 18 year old 19 year old stuff and uh <laughs> yeah. and as you do <laughs> well, you de- you deserve it man at that point you deserve to go through anything you need to <laughs> so it, it you know it's like i and i think it came along with listening to different music and stuff. you know it's like i didn't know what i wanted to do i didn't know if i if i wanted to play some rock and roll band or if, if I wanted to keep doing country music, if I wanted to go back to bluegrass or if I just knew I didn't, you know, want to do a lot of political shows and, and we, we were all good, man. We all, we left on good terms and everything uh, was perfect the way it should have been in the way that, you know, I'm happy that it went because I'm really proud of this, these records that I've done with Rob yeah. and you know, it's, but I don't know that there's ever been, because I've kind of always just done what I wanted to do as far as the music wise goes. We, uh, when we were picking out songs for that is what it is record, there was a conversation, you know, about well, do we do a lot of contemporary country stuff and just go that route, you know? And and we didn't, you know, we went through like the cover songs that are on there. Uh, let's see, Johnny Johnny Russell, you know, Johnny Russell's son let us go through. Uh, some of his unrecorded uh, songs. Oh. And so like that, uh, I Don't Like Me Without You was an old Johnny Russell song that he was going to record. I mean, there's this amazing wow. version of that song that he recorded and it, ne- it just never got uh, put out for whatever reason. And so we, I was the first person to record it and put it out, you know, and, and, and that was super cool. And so we went that route, you know, we went like, well, if, if I don't like, because I've never really liked contemporary country music you know mm-hmm. it's like up and up until you know it's like I, I obviously george Strait and all that stuff's great but mm-hmm. anything past I, I, it's just changed like, so much it changed you know and it's not not bad or not anything you know it's it's whatever anybody likes but i don't like it and so yeah. you know i don't want to do that music and 
And so he, nobody ever really pushed hard. And, and we're, we're lucky now that we work with a label that, I mean, they, they put out world full of blues without hearing any of it. You know, wow. they just, uh, <laughs> they, they came in the day after we recorded it and listened to it, you know, and, and that was, that was it. They, they loved it and they're indie label and they trust us enough to not go in there and put out a avant-garde fart sound record, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you and Rob, which is but, what the next record is going to be, <laughs> <laughs> which you're currently working on now, so it should be out <laughs> shortly. That's a, <laughs> it is 2020, man. The avant-garde <laughs> art recordings are. So th- these, uh, the three albums that you and Rob have done together, man. The, the what I take from it is there is such a diverse style. You guys seem to just push and pull off each other like crazy, and and uh, really kind of just really push the sound that you're trying to create because it seems like there's to me like i said earlier there's that jazz influence there's a big jazz influence in some of this stuff to me that i don't know if rob brings that or 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 if you bring that more but it just melds so many different styles how do you guys kind of bounce off each other into creating what you guys have now it's never been work you know Mm. it's like uh that first record i don't know that we other than My Way is the Highway and the electric stuff on that record. Oh, and, and Pride and Joy, but we did that as a duo. I don't think that we had discussed anything going into the recording studio that day. <laughs> and we just like, you know, we called songs. So I moved to town in uh, in July. I moved to Nashville in July. Rob and I did one gig at the Station Inn with, with Mike Bubb and Andy Lefwich and John Alvey, who were on that record. And and then we were recording in October, you know, so we <laughs> literally just booked a day and we all sat in, in the same room. You had no headphones, no overdubs, um, everything 100% live and just kind of called tunes, you know, and, we, and that was that first record. That wow. was uh, that was pretty much <laughs> it. And the, so the second record was kind of just a continuation of that. We did have, you know, 15 songs planned already. We didn't want to go in there. Just totally, because at that point we knew each other a little better, and we had spent some time on the road. Well, that's a that's a gigantic step up in planning compared to the first record, Julie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anything is a step up. Yeah, it's planning. like man, this is this is a completely structured se- uh, session. We got fifteen songs. We know. We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, we did. You know, we we went in there and and cut those. We cut. I mean, we've probably got uh, ten songs, maybe that. Uh, that we haven't released yet from the first record, the second record. We don't have any from World Full of Blues. Everything we, we recorded, we released. But And some of it was like, you know, the second record we did a, uh, we did a Western Swing song that we didn't put on the record because that one was a little more... I mean, Country Blues, I, I, you know, I love that record, but it can be noted that's a little unfocused just because... We th- we kind of threw everything at it. I mean, and mm-hmm. I love it. I love that we just kind of went for it and and did whatever we wanted to do. But you know, we've already done. We already had that biscuits and gravy song, which is like a uh, I don't even know what you would like a reggae jazz infused <laughs> rock See? and roll song. You See, know, that's and what it, I'm talking about with your music, man. <laughs> it, it made no sense at all. But but and Rob came up with that. Yes, yeah, that's he. I mean, I always loved jazz stuff i don't think i brought it as much as rob did i mean he's got um one of my favorite records is that uh what it is which mm-hmm. is funny i've got got a record is what it is and rob put out one about the same time called what it is uh, <laughs> <laughs> no planning involved there but uh but it's killer man and it's all totally live and it's a jazz record with uh dobro saxophone bass and drums hmm. and um but so there's obviously that that's a bigger side of it for him. I think I brought more blues and probably traditional country stuff with a little bit of the rock and roll side of it. Cause I mean, like he didn't, he was kind of unaware of a lot of the rock and roll stuff that I was into. And so, yeah, when we'd get on the road, you know, I just plug in my phone and we'd kind of take turns playing records for each other that we, we dug. And, you know, it's like, he never played anything that I didn't like. And, and to my knowledge, I didn't ever play anything that he didn't like. So when we went into the studio or, or we go to work on these tunes, it just always felt easy. You know, it, it never felt like work and there was little to no arrangement issues. You know, we just kind of came up with 
stuff and yeah, go from there. So coming off of before the sun goes down and then the, what is it? Uh, blue country, country blues, country blues yeah. album that was, uh, went from sitting in the studio. Let's see what happens. Planning 15 songs. How much more focused and planned was world full of blues? Uh, I mean, a hundred percent more. It, was the first record that we wrote the majority of it, you know, because the the first one I think only had two original songs or maybe just one. Mm -hmm. And then the Country Blues had, I wrote, uh, so I guess it had three. So I wrote uh, Everywhere I Goes a Long Way From Home, uh, That's What Leaving's For, and then Rob wrote the Biscuits and Gravy tune. So going into the third one, we knew that we wanted to write the songs for this one. And it also kind of felt like we needed a producer, just like we were talking earlier. You know, it's like it can be classified a little bit as as unfocused just because we are throwing everything we like at it. And not that that's a bad thing, but we just wanted to put out the most cohesive record. And it was kind of all circled around that World Full of Blues song. So a buddy of Rob's had a, had a cabin out, in, uh, out here in Franklin, just not very far from here. And so I've got a four, now a four-year-old daughter. At the time, she was much younger. But we wanted to just kind of get away, you know. And, and so, like, during the day, I'd meet him out there, and we'd spend a couple hours writing uh, on these songs that were kind of already started. And, you know, just go home and, and chew on them and then go back the next day and work on it again. And um, until we had, I mean, we probably wrote uh, 20-some songs for that record and then had, you know, 10 cover songs kind of picked out so we had over over 30 songs i think ready to go and and um luckily enough uh our we had just started working with these managers who've been great you know they they work with vector management company and and one of them is good friends with uh brent mayer who we had just worked out at his studio about a year prior rob and i played on this great jason ed record called I Travel On. It's a, he's, Jason's like a Texas singer songwriter. That's just amazing. And, and he did kind of a bluegrass tinged country record, uh, that we played on. And, and so we worked out at Brent's studio out in, uh, Berry Hill. So by chance, you know, our, our manager called and he said, if I could get it to happen, would you guys want to work with Brent Mayer? It's like, Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that guy's his, his track listing is amazing. He's, worked on all the Judd stuff and before that he you know worked with everybody from Duke Ellington and um <laughs> and you know Ray Charles and uh Chuck Berry oh the, yeah like you know later years but <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah I mean I, I've, I've just got to the point where I was like every time I go over to Brent's I just kind of think of somebody that it's like surely you didn't work like the last time I was there, there's like surely you didn't work with Louis Armstrong Oh yeah, yeah. I worked with Louis on, uh, you know, <laughs> gig. and yeah, it's just uh, unbelievable. We did Sly and the Family Stone that first record. Uh, he engineered it and um, all the Tina Turner stuff. I mean, just just unbelievable. And then one of the m more recent things he did was um, that Merle Haggard and uh, Willie and Ray Price record. Mm. Uh, so I mean, you know, I've, I've read his name on records forever and. And it's like, yeah, I'd love to work with Brent. And yeah, I mean, he, he really just, you know, as far as what World Full of Blues became, you know, he is, he is a big part of why it is what it is. And, you know, it's like he, he kept us focused and, and that's what we told him, you know, it's like we, the one thing we want to do is to make sure we do this all live in the studio. That's our only thing that we, that's our thing that we do. You know, if you're cool with that. And then he even took it a step farther. He's like, oh, well, you guys want to do it on tape? They're like, ah, maybe, maybe not that far. But, you know. <laughs> did, uh, how many of those 30-something songs did you guys record? Man, we recorded all... Well, Rob and I recorded all of them as, you know, just like three okay. records. So, you know, it's like we just... To go through and listen to and pick out. So we recorded just the 11. I think we might have recorded two more that were going to be like exclusives for whoever, you know. And then we we decided against it. How hard was it to cut 20-something songs? <laughs> I mean, to go through and go, okay, it, it, was it all about the fit of what the record was and what the songs were, especially after, you know, you guys writing the majority of what ended up being on it? Was it kind of just feeling what set right? 
Yeah, I mean, we if we would have like pushed, or if we had had you know a strong feeling one way or the other, um, I'm sure we could have done a different song. But I mean, as far as as what happened, Brent picked out the songs that were on the record, mm-hmm. and I had a pretty good idea, you know, just of what what flowed together. Uh, I know Rob and I had made a list of like, well, if we're going to produce this record, what 11 or 12 songs would we use? And they were pretty much spot on with what Brent picked. But as far as like the, you know, where they went on the album and stuff like that, he he had a big hand in that. And I mean, we just kind of let it over to him because he's basically knows more than we do. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I trust his judgment. And after working with him one day at the studio, it's like, man, you... You, you got it. Uh, you don't need my input. You know, we're just here to play music. And How nice is that? How nice great, is that to man. be able to just complete trust? And it turned it's out great. awesome. <laughs> it's, well, I appreciate that, man. It's It's been fun. You know, it's like working with Rob. It just, everything seems smooth. And then bringing Brent into this, that that was smooth. And, yeah, it's, it's just been, I, I have nobody to complain about, which is, uh, <laughs> which is, a blessing and a curse. I'd like to complain every once in a while. <laughs> well, the good, I tell you what, man, Wolfful Blues, that's the one you can, it, I always enjoy an album that you can push play on, on song one and then you're disappointed when it's over at song 12 or 13 or, you know, so that is one that you can play all the way through and you're just like, man, that is a killer mm-hmm. record. Yeah. Oh, man, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. thank you for it, man. It's amazing. So, Trey, how adventurous are you feeling this evening? <laughs> hey man, I'm I'm feeling good. <laughs> well, just I'm just sitting here thinking if you've got your guitar close, maybe we could try to try to record something live here. Maybe you could play yeah, us a man. song on the way out. Yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. Heck yeah! Okay. Oh, maybe you can play like ten. Then yeah, we'll just we'll just sit right here. <laughs> Let's do at least two. <laughs> Heck yeah, man! Let me well, uh, let me grab my guitar here. Okay, uh-huh. awesome. It's just, uh, I don't know if he can hear me or not, but... You still within earshot, Trey? Nope, good. <laughs> you shouldn't be able to play guitar this good and sing this good. Yeah, we haven't even talked time. about his voice. No. Yeah. And just kill. International Bluegrass Guitar Player of the Year nominee uh, this year. I mean, just stupid. Taj Mahal, Vince Gill on the last album. He's there recording the fourth studio album right now. Who knows yeah. what this one's going to be. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Yeah. I wonder what kind of guitar he's going to bring. Hey, everybody. Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. What are we playing, man? I've got my pre-war here. Uh, yeah, those pre-war pre-war company D18s, man. There, that's kind of been the guitar I've been been going for for the past little bit. It's is uh, that the one that was in the picture, uh, the the voted sticker? No, that's my '54. That's uh, that one looks a little. That's played, little, buddy. That's it's sucker. played. And I've, I think I'm the third owner of that guitar. A friend of mine bought it. So I got it when I was a kid. I mean, I got it when I was 13. Um, kidding. My, my dad helped out a lot, you know, it's obviously. Um, and But I played a bunch of shows, you know, and so I, it's like, what else does a 13-year-old kid with with money buy, you know? And, <laughs> and But the, the guy, I mean, it's, it's got some issues. It's, had, it's got some cracks, and um, it's been, like I say, it's been played. And whoever played it before, the guy that I got it from really played it. I mean, it's, you know, all the stuff... It just looks like it's been in a couple <laughs> world wars, and, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like I say it had some top cracks and some side cracks, it cracks all over it. So, but Amen. it's in good shape now. It's it's my go-to uh, studio guitar. Really, uh, it's weird, man, how good that guitar sounds just in the studio. It sounds great everywhere, but it doesn't have the typical D twenty-eight like that real just woofy kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost I don't it's it's weird how much it sounds like a Gibson when you want it to, you know. Like a forty five? It sounds like this forty five or fifty, you know, like one of those just not quite muffled mm-hmm. woofy sounds, but just right on the edge. I mean it's just it's kind of a perfect 
guitar, but this one's really great. I mean, this is the guitar I used on all of uh, all of that Worldful Blues record, this pre-war. Sweet. Um, and it was literally a week old, I think, when I started recording. No um, kidding. And it sounds like, I mean, the, actually, Brent argued with me the first day of recording. Because, you know, that's that's kind of their thing. They they do guitars that look and sound like old old Martins. And uh, and he argued with me that this was not a new guitar. And I was like, man, it's literally a week old. And Ed, he just couldn't get over how good it sounded. And, and it's got the look and everything. But, yeah. Well, cool. Is there anything else here? here? No, man. Whatever you're into right now, what what have you been messing with? Do you have anything that's gonna be uh, that you picked out for the fourth studio album that you that you're in love with right now? Trying to think here. I might see if I can play something new. Not to put you on the spot or anything, buddy. Yeah, let's see. Do I have it? I was gonna see if I could do maybe a new song here. Oh man. If I could find the. Now you're really uh, playing with our emotions. Fine lyrics. <laughs> let's see. So, hey, uh, I see you've been hanging with Tommy Emanuel lately. Is he going to be on this next record? Man, uh, we're working on a record with him. No uh, way! <laughs> yeah, it'll be a uh, it'll be an EP that we just finished. That'll be out uh, probably sometime early next year. That's insane, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man, working with that guy is... Uh, <laughs> well, just... Just the three of you guys together is going to be absolutely insane. That's way too much guitar knowledge right there. That's like guitar porn. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he is—he's the best. He's man, he's just my favorite. You know, and, and working with him is so cool. I mean, we—we've done a couple tours now, and um, guys, yeah, so uh, he's just the the best guy to be around. And uh, in addition to <laughs> just being uh, such an amazing guitar player. Mm-hmm. Well, when all this breaks free, man, you'll have to uh, make your way to Louisville. Yeah, Heck come yeah, on man. up. Heck yeah, yeah. We are. Uh, we're playing a gig. I think it's our first gig since uh, since March. Actually, we played one at the City Winery in Nashville, but we're playing a gig out in South Carolina this weekend. Man, I'm ready to get back at it. So hopefully, we'll be back in. Oh, I bet you're itching, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been too long. I bet. Well, cool. Yeah, I'll play something for, that we're uh, that we're gonna put on our next record. Awesome. Okay. Hell yeah. All right. Let's see. Let me get my guitar all set up here. Y'all hear everything? All right. Yeah, man. Yeah. Sounds cool. good. pain thought I'd never love again you came to me out of my dreams and into my arms my heart was growing cold from endless nights alone and you came to me out of my dreams and into my arms came to me out of my dreams and into my heart and soul you came to me into my life when i needed you the most well i thought i'd never find someone i could call mine you came to me out of my dreams and into my arms You came to me into my life 
when I needed you the most. My heart was full of pain. Thought I'd never love again. You came to me out of my dreams and into my arms. Yeah, you came to me out of my dreams and into my arms. All right. Man, you shouldn't be able to play guitar like that and then have a voice that good, too. <laughs> That's not fair. So where is the crossroads again? <laughs> I'm telling you what, buddy. It's, that is amazing stuff. I can't, I can't wait for the fourth album. Did you guys just start recording that one? Well, uh, so we have three songs already cut, and we will probably finish the rest of it Pretty soon, um, this one will be a little bit more on the country side of it. But yeah, man, we've uh, we actually we started a record up in New York back back before all this happened, back in November really? of last year, and um, we were getting ready to go up there and uh, finish that. And it was kind of all over the place. I mean, I'm playing mostly electric guitar on that stuff, huh. just all kinds of weird stuff. And then we came back to Nashville and we were starting to cut this kind of country thing with, uh, with Brent. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely, we got a lot of stuff that we're working on and, but yeah, this fourth one will be the, the one we're working on with Brent again. And so there's a, there, there's kind of another one hiding out there waiting to be finished. Uh, that's a, that's a, another sh- different thing, huh? Yeah, man. There's, Ooh. there's half, a, half a one already in the can. <laughs> yeah, All right. <laughs> We got some stuff happening, you know. Just, just getting. Uh, so we did this tour with uh, with Hot Tuna last year for their. It was their fiftieth anniversary, which is unbelievable. Wow. And uh, we had such a great time. It was Hot Tuna Electric, and so it was uh, Yorma and Jack and uh, Justin Gwip, who's an amazing drummer and uh, played in, in Levon Helms' band. He was the second drummer for a long time mm-hmm. and produced the Levon Helm, all the the Dirt Farmer stuff that Levon did there at the end and. Just a great producer, but he's got a, a killer studio up in uh, Woodstock. And so we were out on tour last year, and we stopped by and uh, had dinner with Justin. And then we went out in the recording studio kind of, I mean, just for fun. We didn't we didn't intend on doing anything, and we cut half a record that night, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we'll finish that up at some point. But uh, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it seems like when I write a song anyway, it, it comes out a country song. Um, in one way or the other. So, uh, you know, and I was kind of working on a solo, another solo record. So, man, we've got, and that's kind of all we've been doing this whole, you know, quarantine or whatever is, is writing tunes. And, uh, we wrote a song with Taj Mahal last, I guess, a couple weeks ago. And yeah, man, just, just staying busy. Yeah, man. It sounds like you got plenty of irons in the fire. So once all this, uh, Corona, stuff is over with it sounded like number one you had a a lot going on when it hit number two you didn't waste the time quarantining as much as as to actually doing some work and get some stuff done now at the end of this it sounds like you're gonna have a bunch to show for it yeah i mean you know we had this year was i guess world full blues came out in october so this year would traditionally have been the year that we get out and promote it you'd probably still be touring that record right now wouldn't you yeah yeah oh yeah man we would have uh for for our music, we definitely have some good things to show for it. Just for you know, we we were working on this fourth record a lot earlier than we would have been, but yeah, I mean, we would have been. We had a super busy year this year, just mm. just a lot of stuff. But you know, we'll get to it next year or, or whenever it's safe to do it, and it'll all be good. Well, man, we appreciate you taking the time to visit with us tonight. It's been a great conversation, and our listeners will uh, will love this episode. Oh yeah, Trey, and where where can uh, they find you? Tell us all the spots to go if if any of the, anybody wants to follow you or listen or check out a video or do any of that good stuff. Yeah, I uh, so I've got a website, treyhensley dot com. Uh, Rob and I have a website, which is where all the uh, most recent stuff with us will be. Is Rob and Trey dot com, and then. I'm on all the social media stuff. I think it's all uh, the handles all backslash Trey A. Hensley. And then for the Rob and Trey stuff, it's just Rob and Trey. If that Trey dot 
Hensley is out there listening, you son of a bitch. Don't you be taking this stuff anymore, man. <laughs> you can't go around sending nice messages to people and pretending it's me. No kidding, man. What the hell? <laughs> so how about taking us out with one? All right. Yeah, sure. Hell yeah, Grandma. buddy. Let's see. I'll play uh I'll play something from the last record. All right. Always looking for a place to hang my hat Never knowing which direction I might find me at I've been traveling every day since I was born Just looking for some shelter from a never-ending storm I've crossed over these United States And I seldom make new friends along the way Never staying long enough to say hello Just chasing both ends of my rainbow This morning came as a surprise After all the hell I've raised the last few lonely nights I've been burning all my candles at both ends Just wondering when this chapter stops and a brand new one begins Montana's really nice this time of year Hell anywhere is better than right here I'll ride a plane wherever it may go While I chase both ends of my rainbow I keep hanging on to promises and chasing after dreams Knowing that reality is better than it seems I'll find my way and sacrifice my soul While I chase both ends of my rainbow My pockets are all full of cigarettes My money's blown, my whiskey's gone, and I'm full of regrets Well, I'm standing on this highway looking out With my guitar and my friendly smile, I'll hit your ride, no doubt My horizon is just over this hill And I know I'll never, ever get my fill I'll keep playing every song that I know While I chase both ends of my rainbow I keep hanging on to promises and chasing after dreams Knowing that reality is better than it seems I'll find my way, won't sacrifice my soul While I chase both ends of my rainbow Yeah, I'll find my way, won't sacrifice my soul while I chase both ends of my rainbow. <laughs> so oh my goodness. Good. <laughs> How does anybody pick that clear? <laughs> the devil. That fast. <laughs> I told you, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Trey. You don't get nominated awesome. for International Bluegrass Player of the Year for nothing, man. <laughs> Thanks for doing that for us, man. It's awesome. And we'll see you guys next week. Hey, thank you, fellas. Oh, thank you, Trey.